Welcome to Scavengers Horde, a Stars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 167, and it's 10th of October 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good. Um, been preparing for the next part of our Visions discussion, which is always exciting. Um, we also had some bombshell book announcements which i'm excited to talk about um and we also have like a really intriguing autobiography from no one else other than the emperor himself emperor palpatine um so i really hope that those of you out there who really love me doing my palpatine impression are very very excited for this show because yeah it might be like a bit of like a game changer um yeah lots of palpatine (laughs) we also had the lego special we did. How did I forget about the Lego special? What's wrong? How's with me? your Vane impression? <laughs> It'd probably be completely indistinguishable from my Palpatine impression. Um, yeah, I, I can do like one evil old man voice, basically. <laughs> he was so, yeah. unexpectedly star of the show for me. I really enjoyed him. Yeah, no, he was wonderful. Like, and it's the most character development he's got in any piece of Star Wars media. So <laughs> I really appreciated that. I'll tell you what, you can be Van A. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'll be Palpatine. We've got to spread it out. <laughs> oh, dear. oh, my goodness. Luckily, I don't think we have, like, any, like, grand speeches or, like, lines of dialogue even from no. Van A to read out. So I think you're fine. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was a standout. I, I did like that character. And, yeah, I, I'm excited to discuss that special because, as always, Lego... Star Wars is the superior Star Wars so yeah that will be good to discuss how about you Kirsty how have you been doing Star Wars wise um pretty similar just kind of catching up on visions again reminding myself of the episodes that we're about to discuss some of my favorites in here and I think you're the same same yep exactly yeah so it's going to be good to discuss these ones in particular because mm-hmm. yeah I love talking about Star Wars when it's Star Wars that I just think is awesome basically so I, I enjoy most Star Wars you know but there's some stars that's just on the next level and yeah some of these visions episodes are really spectacular didn't we get news about a visions concept art book as well yes we did there is indeed a visions concept art book coming and that is great great news um not so much for my wallet um because <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i can afford to buy another luxurious art book um so i really have all the ones for the sequel trilogy which i do dearly love um but yeah like at the very least i'm excited to see people share it around you know and we're bound to see pictures from it and stuff and yeah it's going to be really cool because all the shorts look so beautiful and yeah a book about them will be awesome mm-hmm. so yeah no it's very good um Okay, so let's kick it off um, by talking about the news. And the first thing to talk about is that we had a bunch of new book announcements. um, And these were shared on stars.com. So that's how we know they're real. Um, They're not made up. They are actual real things. Um, Yeah, I was wondering, could you read out the synopsis for the first one, Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher? Mm -hmm. This comes out June 28th, 2022. Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian return in this essential novel set between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. The Empire is dead. Nearly two decades on from the Battle of Endor, the tattered remnants of Palpatine's forces have fled to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. But for the heroes of the New Republic, danger and loss are ever-present companions, even in this newly forged era of peace. Jedi Master Luke Skywalker is haunted by visions of the dark side foretelling an ominous secret growing somewhere in the depths of space, on a dead world called Exegol. The disturbance in the Force is undeniable, 
and Luke's worst fears are confirmed when his old friend Lando Calrissian comes to him with reports of a new Sith menace. After his daughter was stolen from his arms, Lando searched the stars for any trace of his lost child, but every new rumour only led to dead ends and fading hopes, until he crossed paths with Ochi of Bastoon, a Sith assassin tasked with kidnapping a young girl. Ochi's true motives remain shrouded to Luke and Lando, for on a junkyard moon, a mysterious envoy of the Sith Eternal had bequeathed a sacred blade to the assassin, promising that it will give him answers to the questions that have haunted him since the Empire fell. In exchange, he must complete a final mission, return to Exegol with the key to the Sith's glorious rebirth, the granddaughter of Darth Sidious himself, Rey. As Ochi hunts Rey and her parents to the edge of the galaxy, Luke and Lando race into the mystery of the Sith's lingering shadow and aid a young family running for their lives. Dun dun dun. Um, so yeah, that's a lot. Um, it's clear that we're about to get a big continuation of the Ochi cinematic universe. <laughs> I know we've all been very excited about. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, like, obviously there's been lots of reactions to this because it's quite like a splashy concept for a Star Wars novel. Um, it's had all the usual like nerdy websites like io9 and stuff pick it up and report on the fact that this is now a thing that exists and will be released. Um, and yeah, I guess for me personally, uh, I, I'm going to be straight up and say I probably will read this. I kind of just want to know. Um, and I... I can't really see how the story will work, to be honest, because I feel like the way the backstory is conveyed in The Rise of Skywalker is kind of borderline nonsensical, and I don't want to like turn this part of the episode into just like, meh, 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 Rise of Skywalker. Well, it's hard to avoid talking about trust with this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're kind of like inextricably linked, aren't they? <laughs> I'm sure Adam Christopher will do a fine job with the writing, you know. Like this is the guy who was meant to write a Mandalorian novel and then they decided to not do that cuz I'm guessing that they decided to put all of that storytelling into the show and yeah, they've given him this project instead. Exactly. So this is his consolation prize. And yeah, I'm sure he'll do a fine job, just like you say Kirsty. Um I just feel like it's a very very tall order because this covers some like big stuff basically like in terms of how it relates to the backstory of the sequels and yeah just in terms of trying to make it all weave together and also just tell a satisfying story in its own right I think it's a huge huge undertaking um and yeah I'm just very curious to see how it's executed basically so yeah like I'm apprehensive but curious and I will read it so yeah over to you Kirsty. what do you think about this I'm probably not going to read it. Or at least I'll wait until you read it and see what you think. Like, sure. I just, like you, I'm just not sure how much they can do with this stuff to to really make it a compelling story in its own right that doesn't just feel like it's trying to explain things. Yes. Um, and it, yeah, it is a genuinely well-told story that has its own themes and questions and character arcs and... Um, I mean, this because it just the synopsis just kind of highlights so much of the shortcomings of the Rise of Skywalker to me, like all the stuff about Lando. Oh yeah, right, his daughter was abducted. Well, who was who was that girl's mother? Is she yes. going to be mentioned? Like that doesn't even seem to be like a question 
I could be wrong. Maybe Lando's partner will feature in the book, but so far it hasn't even been raised as something that would occur to anyone at Lucasfilm that mother figures matter. <laughs> and just the way that that stuff is handled in The Rise of Skywalker as well. Like as as far as I can tell, and I haven't watched the movie in a while, but like, is it actually explicitly stated in the movie that Lando's daughter was abducted, or was that like tacked on in a visual dictionary somewhere? I feel like it was in the visual dictionary. Like I'm pretty confident that. In the movie, Lando talks about like going to Pasana to look for like Ochi or like look for some sort of secret Sith. Yeah, like with um, Luke. But, yeah, with Luke. But yeah, I don't think a daughter is explicitly mentioned, which yeah, it's kind of why the whole end with like Jana is so confounding. <laughs> well, that's got to be like an echo of what they were originally going to do there—that she yes. was going to be his daughter and they'd be reunited. But I don't know why they didn't end up actually committing to that. That would yeah. have then made all of that worthwhile and made sense and maybe would have given the ending a bit more of a happier feeling yeah it's kind of like as it stands you're just kind of like well why is he talking to jana (laughs) well and you fill in the gaps by being like oh they're hinting that she's his daughter but then why not go full with it it's very strange all of this backstory is very strange in the context of luke being on arc 2 as well because Mm. originally in the last jedi obviously he's there because he fails with ben Yes, and just feels like defeated in that sense and that he can't help the galaxy and maybe the best way to help is just to stay out of the conflict and obviously he's misguided in that but like the fact that he knew all along that Exegol was this pressing issue with the Sith gaining power again and and maybe he had an inkling that it was Palpatine and oh he immediately knows that Rey is Palpatine's descendant as well it's like well then what are you doing there dude? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It seems a bit like a dereliction of duty, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just interesting that all of that is like framed as like trying to um, rehabilitate Luke from the image that he projects in The Last Jedi, but actually it just makes him look worse. Yeah, no, it's true. And I'll I tell you what struck me. There's someone who I kind of feel like really should factor into events around this time who's not even mentioned in the synopsis. Mm. Can you tell who it is, Christy? <laughs> Are you talking about Ben Solo? I am talking about Ben Solo. <laughs> Mysteriously absent. Because <laughs> he would have been with Luke at this point, right? Yeah, if, exactly. If Ray is like six or five or whatever. Yeah, he's like 16. Yeah. So he's still part of the temple. Exactly. So it's kind of like, what the hell's happening to Ben while all this is going on? You know, like, is like Ben being babysat? Is Ben babysitting other people? I I don't know how much trust Luke would have in his 16-year-old nephew at this point, but yeah, I I guess he's like left to hold the temple (laughs) in Luke's absence. I don't know. Babysitting Grogu. Babysitting Grogu. Yes. Um. Okay. Cool. Could you read out the plot description of the next book, please? Which is Mm -hmm. Brotherhood by Mike Chen. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker must stem the tide of the raging Clone Wars and forge a new bond as Jedi Knights. The Clone Wars have begun. Battle lines are being drawn throughout the galaxy. With every world that joins the Separatists, the peace guarded by the Jedi Order is slipping through their fingers. After an explosion devastates Kato Nimoidia, the jewel of the Trade Federation, the Republic is blamed and the fragile neutrality of the planet is threatened. The Jedi dispatch Obi-Wan Kenobi, one of the Order's most gifted diplomatic minds, to investigate the crime and maintain the balance that has begun to dangerously shift. As Obi-Wan investigates with the help of a heroic Nemoidian guard, he finds himself working against the Separatists who hope to draw the planet into their conspiracy, and senses the sinister hand of Asajj Ventress in the mists that cloak the planet. 
Amid the brewing chaos, Anakin Skywalker rises to the rank of Jedi Knight. Despite the mandate that Obi-Wan travel alone, and his former master's insistence that he listen this time, Anakin's headstrong determination means nothing can stop him from crashing the party and bringing along a promising but conflicted youngling. Once a Padawan to Obi-Wan, Anakin now finds himself on equal but uncertain footing with the man who raised him. The lingering friction between them increases the danger for everyone around them. The two knights must learn a new way to work together, and they must learn quickly to save Cato Nimoidia and its people from the fires of war. To overcome the threat they, must, they face, they must grow beyond Master and Apprentice. They must stand together as brothers. I feel like this would have inspired lots and lots of fan fiction if it had come out in like 2002. Oh, I'm sure it still will. Oh yeah, no, you're right. I'm sure it will. So is this like the intro novel to Kenobi? Like, is this what Ooh. they're maybe going to be flashing back to and stuff? That's a know. really good point. Yeah, and that would make sense. I do feel like that is this is coming out on May 10th, 2022. And I don't know, we've had like inklings that that might be the rough time frame in which we get the Obi-Wan show. So yeah, mm. that would make a great deal of sense. It's like, I guess it's a bit of a blind spot, isn't it? Like, what happens after, like, a Padawan becomes a Jedi Knight? What is their relationship with the person who trained them? Mm. Um, like, what happens to that relationship? So, yeah, there's lots of potentially interesting narrative avenues. Does this one interest you at all, Kirsty? It it does. More, th- more than the first one, anyway. <laughs> Again, I think I just kind of judge them by what what kind of reaction they're getting. And then, you know, if it seems like it's going to really add to people's understanding of the show and to these characters' relationship, um, yeah, open to reading to it, for sure. Again, like, if it had a really great response and, like, everyone's saying how, like, it's a really well-done book and, it, like you say, it really informs the show and stuff, I'd definitely become more interested, I think in its own right I'm not really interested in it for its own sake and I know that sounds really bad because I I do like Obi-Wan and Anakin you know but they're not like like my faves you know that's not like one of the relationships in Star Wars that's super interesting to me Mm. so yeah it would kind of have to really win me over I suppose for me to like buy into it yeah presumably this is pretty it's not too long after Anakin and Padme have secretly married so if there's some tension there in terms of Anakin trying to conceal that relationship, I might be interested because that's one of my favorite aspects of the Clone Wars as well, to be honest. Yes. Um, yeah, just that they're trying to hide everything from everyone. Yeah. Okay, cool. So could you read out about the next book, please, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. Stories of Jedi and Sith, edited by Jennifer Heddle. And this comes out June 7th, 2022. The battle between good and evil never ends. The brave Jedi, the devious Sith. These iconic heroes and villains embody the struggle between light and dark that is at the very heart of Star Wars. In this exciting middle grade anthology, ten acclaimed authors imagine all new tales for some of the saga's most popular characters, from Luke Skywalker to Darth Vader, from Obi-Wan Kenobi to Asajj Ventress and beyond, complete with beautiful spot illustrations. Epic standoffs, cunning plots, courageous action and ruthless anger are all here in this showcase of the enduring power of one of the greatest movie sagas of all time, with illustrations by Jake Bartok. Um, So there's a list here of the authors and... um, which characters each of them are going to be writing for. This is from books.disney.com. Um, Roseanne A. Brown writes Ray. Sarwat Chadder writes Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. Delilah S. Dawson writes Asajj Ventress. Tessa Grattan writes Emperor Palpatine. Michael Cog writes Yoda. Sam Mags writes Luke Skywalker. 
Michael Morici writes Darth Maul, Alex Segura writes Qui-Gon Jinn, Vera Strange writes Darth Vader, Karen Strong writes Barris Offee. Yeah, no, so this is obviously aimed at younger audiences um, than the other books we've discussed. This is middle grade. But it seems like an interesting and potentially cute little anthology, which I like. <laughs> Although maybe the story about Palpatine won't be so cute. Who knows? I don't know. It could be funny. <laughs> yeah, no. Palpatine's pretty funny. Yeah, Palpatine's extremely funny. I'm glad you <laughs> see that too. For, I like the fact that there is going to be a race story in this mm. anthology. Because again, anything that acknowledges the existence of the sequel trilogy characters <laughs> is appreciated <laughs> by me. And yeah, I feel like this might be the first piece of original fiction Lucasfilm have done about Rey for quite a while. I'm sure she's been in comics, you know, like especially the Star Wars Adventures ones, you know, which are aimed at like proper children. <laughs> proper mm. children. Um but yeah, I feel like this is the first prose she's got in some time and I'm curious about that. I want to know when this story happens, like how superficial it is, because yeah, most Ray publishing efforts have been, oh, Ray gets in a scrape and she uses the force to get out of it and nothing wrong with that. But again, I just feel like it's time to get inside her head more, guys. <laughs> I would know? hope that if, yeah, they're kind of pitching this as like the contrast between the Jedi and the Sith, they are going to go into some emotional places. Yes. Uh, do you think it's a bit strange that we're getting stories about Anakin and Vader I really feel like they have try to have their cake and eat it too with him <laughs> yeah there's no Ben or Kylo so you know you could have gone either way with one and then had the other but instead we get Anakin and Vader <laughs> yeah like it's like I do understand that he changed a lot like between those personas like but yeah I feel like there could have been space for like other characters but I don't know. I guess it means they can put like an extra big photo of Vader on the cover to try and sell it. <laughs> you know what's interesting as well in the post-Tross landscape is that Snoke is basically done as a character because yeah, they basically concede his agency. Yep. And like any kind of impact that he would have, he, you know, he's just like, what could you write about him now? Yeah, he's just a puppet of Palpatine, isn't he? Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> Justice yeah. for Snoke. <laughs> Justice for Snoke. Yeah. I think another notable thing about the people involved is that I believe Sam Mags is the person who's going to be doing the Knights of the Old Republic um, oh, video yeah. game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's cool that she is going to be involved in this. So yeah, we will see basically. Again, it's something I'm interested in. I'll probably wait to see what other repeat people report back. I don't usually read most of the middle grade stuff um, because there's just a lot of it and I, I I'm a very slow reader anyway so I've got to prioritize things um but yeah we will see yeah anyway moving on um so finally um we have Padawan by Kirsten White could you um read out the synopsis of that please mm -hmm. this comes out July 26 2022 Obi-Wan Kenobi struggles with his place in the force as a young Padawan in this coming of age adventure Obi-Wan Kenobi really wants to be a good Padawan the best Padawan even but that's feeling more and more impossible with his new master, Qui-Gon Jinn. All of Obi-Wan's friends are off training to be real Jedi, getting mission experience while he's still on Coruscant, practicing his forms and sitting in silent contemplation. Ever since Qui-Gon's former master, Dooku, left the Order, it feels like Qui-Gon has been too busy trying to connect with the Force or arguing with the Jedi Council to properly train his Padawan. When Obi-Wan finally convinces Qui-Gon to take him on a mission to a remote planet once explored by an ancient Jedi, his master doesn't show up the morning they're to leave, so Obi-Wan impulsively takes off by himself. 
Upon arriving on the mysterious lush planet, he encounters a group of teenagers with no adult supervision, and who all seem to have some connection to the Force. Free from the constraints of the Order, Obi-Wan joins them in their daring adventures. This is like Padawan Roomspringer. <laughs> <laughs> but the Padawan side That's of him keeps question. questioning the teen's strange relationship to the Force and to the verdant planet around them, and what all of it might mean to his future. Obi-Wan will test the limits of his relationship to the Jedi and to the Force in this exciting yet soulful exploration of one of Star Wars' most enduring heroes. So lots of Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff at the moment, which makes yeah. sense. This is interesting to me, um, because obviously it's coming out after the other book, which is focusing more on Obi-Wan and Anakin, and obviously this one seems more about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Um, and again, this might be taking it much too far, uh, because obviously they both have Obi-Wan as the common denominator, but it does kind of like get my spider senses tingling that this makes it more probable that we're going to get more insight into Qui-Gon's relationship with Obi-Wan in the show. You know, like, whether, I don't know who, like, is the ghostly voice of Liam Neeson from beyond the grave, or if it's just, I don't know, like, Obi-Wan, like, talking about, oh, yes, my master, Qui-Gon, he was a bit of a bastard. (laughs) Who would he be talking to, though? (laughs) Um, Like a droid? I don't know. People do talk to droids in Star Wars. It's not completely far-fetched. The cast of that show is so stacked. Like, I feel like they have a a lot probably going on in the present day story, which is not really how I envisioned an Obi-Wan show, to be honest. I thought yes. it'd be more of him up by himself in exile, but the cast is just so full. And we've heard things about people having lightsabers and and all sorts. So... I, I wouldn't expect a ton of like quiet contemplation. <laughs> yeah, no. So again, I'm not betting on that sort of thing happening, but it, I don't know. I just find it a little bit suspicious. Like, what do you think about this synopsis, Kirsty? It seems kind of similar to Master and Apprentice, the Claudia Gray novel that we got with yes. these characters. I mean, obviously, like the actual specific plot of him going off without Qui Gon and meeting all these teenagers is different, but. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it seems quite funny as a premise to me in terms of like there could be some real like, hijinks involved with that um but it would probably be quite tame so i think this is probably another middle grade book i don't think it's gonna be too outrageous in terms of what he gets up to <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i agree it does seem to tread quite similar ground to master and apprentice and i don't know maybe that's unfair so there's obviously lots of stories you can tell about you know that master and padawan relationship with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan but yeah again it's not necessarily like really appealing to me right now but we can see how it's reviewed and how exciting it looks when it actually comes out mm-hmm. okay cool could you read out the next story that we have Kirsty? yeah Chloe Zhao potentially hints at being interested in a Star Wars project while doing Eternals press with Al Horner You know, you've mentioned Star Wars a good couple of times now in this call. It was obviously really formative for you. Now that you've proven you can tackle a big blockbuster in a huge franchise with Eternals, would you like to direct a Star Wars movie? Chloe. Hmm. I have to tread very carefully with what I say here. Yes. Let's just say it's a world I have so much reverence for because it was such an important part of my life. Yeah, if she says that she has to tread carefully, does that mean she's already talking to Lucasfilm? That's what that does indicate to me. You know, like, I don't know why you'd kind of say that sort of thing unless you have had a conversation. And Mm. I'm not saying that means she's, like, signed on the dotted line to direct a Star Wars movie. You know, so obviously it doesn't mean that. But 
based on that, I really think she probably has had a discussion with them. And that's exciting because Nomadland is really, really great. And yeah, if they really did just give Chloe complete creative freedom to do whatever the heck she wanted with Star Wars, I would be really thrilled and excited to see that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to her Dracula movie. <laughs> yes, same, same. But yeah, how do you feel about someone like Chloe potentially coming on to do a Star Wars film? Mixed, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I love Chloe's work, or what, what I've seen. And um, Eternals looks good, you know. Yes. But I, I think I'm just wary at this point of like people getting involved with Lucasfilm and then um, how much creative control they're really going to have, or like what the overall direction of the franchise is going to be, at least for the feature films. Yes. Because until we get another one after the Rise of Skywalker, you know, I, I don't have much to go on beyond that movie. So visions as we've said is very encouraging but that's different it's kind of on off on its own branch um and the feature films presumably considered very different because there will be a different financial aspect as well so um just kind of gotta wait and see how i feel about that but yeah it, it would obviously if there's something like that was announced it wouldn't be a bad thing because it's someone who i'm interested in i don't know how to articulate it but you probably get what I mean. Just some just some reservation. Yeah, no, and I think that's sensible because ideally you do want filmmakers to be given as much freedom as possible with something like Star Wars. And yeah, as we've said, Visions is a testament to how awesome that can be in terms of really opening up potential for really fascinating, engaging, creative stories, which I think is something that we all want. You know, those are all positive words. Like, I know I sound a bit hypocritical because... With The Rise of Skywalker, the issue wasn't really that the director didn't have creative freedom. If anything, J.J. Abrams kind of went off and did his own thing and supposedly the story group weren't thrilled at what was happening. So it's almost the opposite problem. But (laughs) in terms of like what direction you want to take Star Wars in, um, I think that is still on shaky ground. So until I know either way there, and there probably isn't one answer because if you do have all of these people involved, they might be at odds. Yeah. And I think that's part of why we often like stumble a bit through these conversations, isn't it? Because we don't know where they want to take Star Wars from now, do we? <laughs> like, Tross ended things in a very strange, open-ended place. And yeah, it could kind of go anywhere and nowhere <laughs> at the same time. So yeah, I think that's kind of why we come across as a bit ambivalent sometimes when we talk about like future projects. Because yeah, it's just impossible to say what that's going to look like. But just on the basis of Chloe's track record, I would like to see what she would bring to Star Wars. I don't know, maybe I'm just being too naive and too trusting, but I do feel like at Lucasfilm there is this desire to really trust the creators and give them the freedom to tell the stories they want to tell, you know, without constraining them too much by saying, oh, well, actually, you can't do this because of X, you know. Um, But yeah, the proof would only be in the pudding, so it's impossible to speculate and I will leave it there for now because there's not much else substantive I can say about the prospect. Yeah, and we might feel um, a bit differently about it once we know more about the Leslie Headland series too because so many of the other, like, currently um, in production, post-production, whatever, the projects that we know about are about eras and characters that we're already familiar with but that one seems to be new um, and... You know, I'd hope that if Chloe came on board, it would also be a new era, new characters, completely different aspect of Star Wars that hadn't been explored before. Um, and that's the stuff that's most intriguing 
because so much of the other stuff that we're kind of heading towards and I'm obviously interested in things like Boba Fett and Andor and Kenobi but um, it's familiar territory right we kind of know what we're getting in terms of who these characters are about exactly so yeah I, I just want something completely new again like I think why both of us fell in love with Force Awakens is because it did just feel so fresh you know that whole new young cast of characters you know they were just so appealing and exciting and I felt like that really reinvigorated the franchise in a way that you don't really get when you just have like a different version of a character we've already met so yeah I think there's a lot to be said for like just breaking new ground in that way and just doing something really original with it so yeah fingers crossed we get more of that soon but obviously it won't be for a little while because we've got lots of shows about all characters coming up first that's okay and I am looking forward to those shows I really don't want to be like a Debbie Downer about this whole thing (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah I I just yeah you kind of like champ of the bit don't you for new um okay cool um, and this is just an indulgence that Kirsty permitted me, so I'm very sorry, everyone, about this. And I'll try and keep it quite brief. But basically, there's a new book out called Star Wars Secrets of the Sith by Mark Simmerich. Um And because I have a strange sense of humour, I find it really, really funny. So it's basically all written from Palpatine's point of view. So it's like Palpatine's perspective on things, which I find hilarious because I just find Palpatine intrinsically funny as a character. So... I'll just read out what Palpatine has to say about Kylo Ren. Young Ben Solo possessed what all masters live to see, raw, untamed power. But a great conflict raged within the boy as well. Not only did his inner turmoil make him heir apparent to his grandfather, Lord Vader, it also made him the perfect pawn. Using Snoke as my proxy, I reached into the boy's mind, influencing his choices. I turned him against the new Jedi Order that was rising in my absence. I severed his bonds to his family and broke his ties to the light. Once reborn as Kylo Ren, he was mine to control. From the shadows, I shaped him into a worthy apprentice, not a true Sith, but equally powerful in the dark side. Rising to become a champion of the First Order, Kylo Ren helped spread fear in the galaxy once more. Yet even after striking down Snoke and seizing control of the First Order, the boy remains conflicted. His Force connection to the girl Rey, a bond I helped facilitate, has left him unbalanced. The final traces of light within him still struggle to regain control. I have given him one final test to prove his worth. Kill the girl, end the Jedi, and rule the galaxy. Even though he knows what must be done, I fear my young ally lacks the strength to do it. <laughs> I'm so sorry, it's like an in-character line reading that completely failed. Um, it just, <laughs> this like... is a bit too long to stay in character. Exactly, yeah, and this is why I'm not an actor, because... <laughs> actors apparently can do that and that's very impressive and i envy them um but yeah like i i kind of appreciate the woobification and i also like the fact that palpatine has no faith in kylo ren at all (laughs) which i find funny this is just him describing exactly what happened it's true (laughs) which is so bleak because like the idea presumably is like oh it's from palpatine's perspective so it's going to be extra dark and negative but it's like no this is literally what he did he stole away young Ben Solo's life, took him away from his family, isolated him, groomed him, and and then he died. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a monster for finding this so funny now. Well, it is funny because it's just so incredibly bleak and this is the story they chose to tell with this character. But yeah, it is very, 
very bleak and sad. Um, and yeah, it definitely does kind of lean more into, you know, Ben just being like manipulated his whole life, which is extra, extra bleak. Yeah, so all very successfully executed by Palpatine. Well done, sir. <laughs> Respect. Yeah, um, I also like that, you know, like the way this ends, like the point that Palpatine gets to in terms of his like thoughts on Kylo Ren is even though he knows what must be done, I fear my young ally lacks the strength to do it. So that means that Palpatine, like again, I know I'm taking this way too seriously, guys. Like it means Palpatine was basically writing like memoirs during the Rise of Skywalker because this is something that happens in Rise of Skywalker. Well, yeah, this is another thing that's really funny. It's like you had him face that same ultimatum with Snoke who is your proxy so you were doing that like okay now you need to kill the girl he doesn't and then we get to the Rise of Skywalker and he's like well you still need to kill her it's like (laughs) so why do you think he's gonna do it this time (laughs) nothing you're just giving him the exact same challenge is there some sort of like bet he has on with like the Sith cultists or something? So, like, I'm gonna like bet. I'm gonna like ask him to kill her again. I know she won't, but yeah. Does anyone want to like take the bad bet and say that he'll kill her because he obviously won't? And it turns out he doesn't even want Ray dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't understand that to be honest. And yeah, actually, this ties back to Secrets of the Sith, doesn't it? Because in that, it explicitly says that like Ray's this like last puzzle piece that is needed for like the Sith mm-hmm. to come back or something. So. I don't know, maybe Palpatine. Palpatine's just really senile and he just like has no idea what he's doing at this point. Oh, Sheev. <laughs> bless him. Bless Sheev. Okay. Do you want to have the fun, fun task of reading out the part about the diet or should I do it because I brought it on myself? I-, I can read it if you want. Oh, thank you. Okay, go for it. Broken bonds. The dyad is an elusive connection, one that cannot be created through will alone. My master, Darth Plagueis, attempted to forge such a bond with me. That he was wise in the ways of the Force, he proved unworthy of the task. I, too, attempted to facilitate such a connection with my apprentice, Anakin Skywalker. (laughs) Yet even with the so-called Chosen One at my side, the balance we shared paled against the perfection of the Dyad. If the two most powerful bloodlines in the history of the galaxy, Palpatine and Skywalker, could not produce such a bond, the question remains if a Dyad is possible at all. So I just love the fact that Palpatine is actually really familiar with dyads as a concept, <laughs> but just somehow missed that Ray and Ben were one. And especially when you remember that he's the same as Snoke, and he's like had that like first-hand like. He literally audience. says in the passage before this that he facilitated the connection. <laughs> he's oh, such a you're dummy. a dyad. Oh well, I actually, actually, I know all about those. <laughs> I've tried to make them. <laughs> Did you know that Plagueis tried to make a dyad with me? <laughs> like, in a way, it kind of makes sense that he'd be so blinkered because obviously he's like trying to like make it something called like dark and nasty and corrupt. So there's a certain poetry in him not realising it's all just about them falling in love and being lovely and like precious together and yeah, just being all so nice. Um, yeah, he wouldn't recognise something that's so like pure and good, like what Ray and Ben have. Because <laughs> I just think it's so bizarre. And again, this is from Palpatine's perspective. So, you know, they might be going from the whole, from a certain point of view thing. But this weird fixation on bloodlines and how Palpatines and Skywalkers are so strong. Because you know the way that Luke talks about the mighty Skywalker blood mm. in The Last Jedi? He's talking about it as hubris, you know, that he yes. was actually wrong 
to to look at it that way. I just don't understand. Like just this this framing of it is is just like weird eugenicsy. <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of like, it would be fine like if the movie itself like refuted it, like situated it as a bad thing, you know, because obviously like you say this is from Palpatine's perspective. So yeah, the bad guy would be a bit of like a weirdo eugenicist, you know, that isn't like out of character. But yeah, like in the movie itself, it absolutely affirms that yeah, these people have really powerful bloodlines. Yeah, and, it's yeah, very strange because there's this perception that the Rise of Skywalker ends up refuting the perspective because Ray chooses not to align with Palpatine emotionally, but he's mm. still the reason that she's so strong. So it's like, oh, she's not a Palpatine; she chooses to be a Skywalker, but apparently that's an equally strong bloodline anyway. So it's not like she's. Ref- refuting that as a concept or saying that it's wrong yeah. as a moral perspective she should have taken a mum's maiden name if she really well wanted. yeah like, that's the thing it's yeah. like what about Shmi what about Ray's mum what about Padme what about Han it yeah. kind of like positions having the force and having these strong bloodlines as like something that's good and admirable and it just gets into this really creepy territory yeah it's a bit weird and also, that's another reason why I'm looking forward to Shadow of the Sith, because I really, really hope it means we can stop just saying Ray's mum, Ray's dad. I want them to have names. Yeah. Hopefully not really stupid names like Sheep. Because <laughs> I just yeah, laugh every time I'd I have like to them say to it. Have, yeah, if we're going to have Ray having parents, and if you're going to make them good, even though they sold her, you need to do something with them. Like, she needs to have a name, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just briefly, we have a little bit more from Palpatine on the dyad, so I'll just finish it off. And I'll try and do the voice again. Let's see if I can do it the whole way through. Forging the future. The doctrine of the dyad was etched into the walls of my citadel on Exegol eons ago. A constant reminder of its significance to our order. To my Sith Eternal, the dyad is not merely the stuff of ancient legend. It is the future of the Sith the key to unlocking the full potential of the dark side. But if a new diet is to be formed, with whom shall I share its legendary power? It is doubtful young Kylo Ren will ever prove himself a more worthy apprentice than his grandfather, Lord Vader. Perhaps, then, my lost granddaughter will accept her birthright and rule the galaxy by my side. My visions have not yet made that clear. Only one thing is certain. When a dyad returns once more, it shall usher in the dawn of a new era, and I will be there to claim its power in the name of the Sith. Or I will use them as a battery pack, and then they'll die. Yeah, it's weird, right? (laughs) The dyad, obviously, is the thing that we see primarily in The Last Jedi, that they share this telepathic emotional connection, and they can touch each other across time and space. Sure. But, like... I, all the stuff that Palpatine's listening about how powerful it is like you don't do anything with it <laughs> you just yeah. drain them of power so that you can become stronger which I guess is like you know the banality of his evil but it's just like that's just deeply boring <laughs> yeah. and get some fancy new threads get some nice new robe out of it <laughs> it's interesting they, they're clearly really heavily leaning into the diet as a concept and it being an important part of the mythology especially of the Sith because obviously it does like to correspond i guess to that rule of two thing and i do like the idea of the the whole time the sith have been trying to do this rule of two things they've been trying to capture something and obviously they never could because they're like evil bad guys and they, and they missed like the good part that yeah is so important to have in a diet so part of me likes that 
Yeah, I'll tell you why I don't really like the diet as a concept. Sure. And I'm sure other people feel the same way. It's that I feel like what we get in The Last Jedi is enough. I don't think it needs to be lorified. I don't think you need a history of it, like with the Sith consciously trying to cultivate it. I don't think it needs to have a name. I don't think it needs to be something that other people outside of them can understand and point to and then use to their advantage. Yeah. I think what makes it magical and what makes The Last Jedi so wonderful in terms of that subplot is that it is this like magical, unnamed, unprecedented thing that happens between these two characters who couldn't be more opposite. Yeah. And I just feel like the dyad kind of takes away that magic and almost shies away from the romance of it. It's like, well, let's give it a name and a Wikipedia article so that the fanboys can be more comfortable discussing it as a concept as opposed to Ray and Kylo's relationship. That's what's interesting. But if it's like, oh, well, I could have had this with with my master and I tried to have one with Anakin. It's like, what? <laughs> That's not... <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, instead of both Kylo and Rey being stumped by their connection, Kylo had been like, I've heard about this. I know that the Emperor tried to forge one of these with my grandfather. And it's like, that's not a kind of story that's interesting to tell. Yeah. No, it, it kind of depersonalizes it, doesn't it? And it makes it less about Rey and Kylo as individuals and more about right. them fitting into this grand plan. That's why it feels like such a violation when Snoke says, ha ha, joke's on you. I cultivated this, you know, because... Yeah to ben and ray it's like wait this is ours that's why it's such a violation when luke enters the hut and tells them to stop it's like about their emotional intimacy yeah no i agree with you i think it's kind of something that sci-fi and fantasy does a lot in terms of like labeling everything (laughs) including things that probably shouldn't be labeled it's a real shame because this is something that ryan as a writer of the last jedi he conceptualized this he evolved that relationship and obviously he took the seeds from the interrogation scene in the force awakens but he really built in something that was uniquely compelling and had people so excited about that movie you know the reviews were raving about it that it was just so emotionally raw and intimate for a star wars movie and because the rise of skywalker comes afterwards and because all of the extraneous material is going to be built around that and the dyad as a concept it just it just kind of erodes it a little for me i know i sound so negative i'm sorry i'll i'll start being a bit more positive when we get into the lego and vision yeah. stuff no no and it's not your fault like it's all tied up with frost and this has been a very trust heavy like discussion so far just by the nature of what we've been talking about because yeah it's publishing stuff that directly addresses what happened in trust and what trust introduces so don't feel bad i know i know you're more positive about the dyad as a concept than i am yeah, yeah, um, no, but at the same time, like, I am, like, interested in the dyads as a concept, and I, like, I'm curious to see, you know, what other dyads there might have been, because obviously none of the ones that Palpatine mentions are actually dyads, because, you know, on a nerdy level, that kind of does intrigue me a bit, but I 100% agree with you in terms of it does take something away from the magic of how that dynamic was framed initially, especially in The Last Jedi, because, yeah, you know, we obviously had tons of podcasts about that exact thing, and much of those discussions was focused on that delicious ambiguity, as you might say. You know, like the fact that it was so like undefined and hard to pin down, but at the same time it was like unmistakable and just this really, really like real connection in a context where you very rarely get that kind of like raw emotional intimacy. 
you know and yeah just like slapping a label on it and calling it a diet <laughs> does diminish it somewhat so yeah like I even though I do feel a bit more positive about the whole diet thing I 100% agree with you in terms of what you're saying I know that sounds like a cop-out so I'm saying like I, I'm on both sides but it's true you know so yeah I hope that makes sense yeah I envy you in a way because this is clearly the where they're going sure. so I'd rather be on board with it that's the thing because the last Jedi comes first um anything that Ryan put forward in terms of you know because he's he talked about it in interviews at the time like this was a storytelling device because he couldn't figure out how you'd get Ray and Kylo into a room together to talk without fighting so it's like we'll do it by this mysterious connection where that's the only thing they can do yeah um and then they'll begin to understand each other more like that's the real purpose behind that false connection and the idea that they're these two lonely people who realize that they do have this thing in common and i just think it's a shame because you know i I don't want to put words into ryan johnson's mouth and i'm not entirely sure he'll ever really talk about star wars in in depth like that ever again but um i just don't think this is where he would have wanted that to go you know it wasn't really what it was about yeah i I think like jj obviously has talents as a filmmaker but i think he doesn't have that same I don't know, like emotional maturity, perhaps, to his storytelling in the same way that, like, Ryan does. I think Ryan, he brought, like, this real, like, sophistication to what he was doing with, like, the relational aspect of the sequel trilogy Hmm. and how characters related. And, yeah, that's kind of all, like, stripped back and simplified by the time you go back to episode nine, which, yeah, is very frustrating. But I'll tell you what, so I don't want to end this, like, first part of the show on a downer. Do you know what happened four years ago today, Kirsty? Um, was it a funny interview with Ryan? No. It was the first trailer for The Last Jedi. Oh, the one that ends it? with the hand being offered. Oh, that was a great one. That was such a good day. And I know I've told the story before, but it obviously came out while I was sleeping um, because, yeah, time difference. And I'll never forget waking up and just having a bombardment of messages from Kirsty telling me to, like, watch the trailer immediately. It's a perfect trailer. Like, still, even after having seen the movie a million times, I think that trailer is so well put together. I think it tells you very quickly kind of where things are going to go. Um, even tries to warn people who might be super confident about where they think the story's going to go, that they should <laughs> maybe adjust their expectations. Yeah. It's just like a little piece of art in its own right. Yeah, isn't it, it is. The music's fantastic. The pacing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. Oh, God, just that glorious vindication. I'll never forget. <laughs> Such a great day. <laughs> four years ago. Yeah, I realized the other day that we're coming up to the four year anniversary of them announcing Ryan's trilogy. They announced that before the reactions to the last jedi oh, and uh, haven't really said anything about it since so i wish so so much it was happening but i must say like i'm starting to yeah it starts to feel like a vain hope at this point oh yeah i it? don't think so i think ryan's had unprecedented success with knives out and kind of gone in a different direction and good for him yeah no exactly we're still getting great ryan johnson movies so there's lots to be happy about um and yeah hopefully star wars will find its own way um in a good direction yeah knives out as like a standalone obviously it's not standalone now but they've basically he, he basically created his own little franchise cinematic universe there yeah no it's really remarkable um great cool then we just have one final little thing we wanted to bring up in the news section 
Kirsty, which you in particular wanted to talk about. And obviously, I also think it's very important. <laughs> um, but yeah, could you um, read it out, please? Yeah, I think it was part of a larger article from The Hollywood Reporter where they were talking about like vaccine mandates on sets in Hollywood in general. And they have comments from various actors. And they have this one. But some actors like Giancarlo Esposito are hoping that the unvaccinated simply avoid sets while the Delta variant rages. If you don't want to vaccinate, go to a small island and sequester yourself, the Mandalorian and Better Call Saul actor says. Otherwise, you're saying fuck you to all you other human beings. We all have to do it if we want to live. I don't understand how people don't vaccinate. For me, I've lost dear friends, so I know it's real. Not only in Europe, but in America, friends who are completely healthy and uncompromised. The vaccine is the answer. I'm not downing anyone who doesn't want to vaccinate. Don't work. Go ride it out somewhere where you're not going to compromise anyone else if you get it. It's just very encouraging to see this, especially from someone who was part of the Mandalorian, because as we know, there's another infamous i should say now actor who was associated with that show who's very vocally anti-vax yeah and very irresponsible about it yeah i'd actually successfully forgotten about that person like only temporarily oh, good for um, you and, yeah god i wish that were me they've now come back to my mind so thanks sorry Christy. thanks no joking, i guess i this one struck me because of that juxtaposition because i i do wonder if it got a bit awkward um yeah because we know it you know in the behind the scenes stuff it was getting into the pandemic timeline because you've got um shots of like dave filoni and john favreau wearing masks so they they were still working on the show when all that happened so it must have been an issue you know obviously that was before the vaccine was made available to people but if people were refusing to wear masks and and take precautions with the social distancing and everything it would have been an issue so good for him for being vocal about this yeah no it's such an important issue um see i really appreciated him coming out so strongly um like on the pro vaccine side (laughs) um because yeah it is just so so important and you read like these accounts about other actors just not taking it seriously or even actively spreading anti-vax rhetoric and you just like want to throw up your hands because these people you know they've got no excuse you know they're so wealthy they're so privileged they've got all these people around them like and all these means of accessing like the correct information and like reading the art the science behind it um but yeah some people still apparently just want to like stick with conspiracy theories (laughs) and yeah not trust the vaccine and that's why the pandemic is going on and on and on and on and on so yeah and you're going to have a lot of people working on these sets who don't have the same financial means obviously um maybe don't have access to the same levels of healthcare that these people would certainly wouldn't to be honest you know um so yeah it's pure selfishness and ignorance and i'm glad that there's this growing you know refusal to continue to have patience for it because it's been it's been 18 months now guys so there's no excuse to be ill-informed about the pandemic Exactly. Okay, cool. So let's move in to a little discussion on the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales special, which is a Halloween themed Lego Star Wars special. Um, Yeah, so how would you describe the story and plot, in air quotes, of this special, Kirsty? I know it's quite a big undertaking, so it's like a nested story, isn't it? But what's your best attempt? It is like a, a 
a haunted house thing where you have a character telling stories that probably aren't true but include like real in terms of like in-universe characters and they're like twists on some of them are twists on things that we're already familiar with obviously like luke wanting to join the academy um kylo going with the knights of ren yeah they're obviously like exaggerated and silly and spooky (laughs) exactly yeah like the framing story is quite wonderful because basically the idea is that um like vader's castle on mustafar is being turned into a resort hotel like disney style Basically, when they brought Vader's castle, they kind of inherited Vader's old servant, Vane, <laughs> who's just there still, like, just because it's never properly explained, but who cares? Um, and yeah, Vane is the one who tells, like, stories about the various different Darksiders who are connected to Vader's castle somehow. Um, even tangentially or through several degrees of separation, I suppose. Um, and yeah, like, it's mainly for relics, I think, isn't it? Like, um to trigger off the story about Ben, he has the helmet of Ren, for example. So yeah, let's start with the first one. What did you think about The Lost Boy, Kirsty, and how this special told the story of Ben Solo? Oh, this was my favourite. I've actually, sorry, just as you were talking, I remembered a far better comparison would be The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Yes! That makes far more sense, where you have these little anthologies of scary stories that include characters that you're obviously already familiar with. So, ignore the Christmas Carol, that made no sense. (laughs) No, no, Um, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so it it works. Um, So, the... The Ben Solo one, obviously it's called The Lost Boys, so it riffs on The Lost Boys vampire 80s teen movie. Uh, which I hadn't seen in a long time, but obviously en- enjoyed the references. Um, <laughs> really bigs up the 80s music. <laughs> yes. And if you've read the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, obviously it it's sort of in that direction, but they, they make some changes and it makes sense. Um, and Christian Slater is perfect in the role of Ren as kind of a Kiefer Sutherland substitute, I guess. I don't know if they asked Kiefer first if he would <laughs> want to do this kind of role. <laughs> That would have been so amazing if they'd got him. Oh my god! <laughs> but Christian works too, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Christian was yeah. a very good choice. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, I felt like this one. Obviously, it's still silly, you know. So it's ultimately still Lego, but it had the most like emotional like heft of any of them. Yeah, because you have kind of that relationship between Ben and Luke in the background, right? Throughout the whole thing, it's like this tension of, oh, well, he should he go and have fun with this biker gang? not realizing how bad they are <laughs> yeah. um or should he stay with luke and kind of protect him in the temple so he's yeah. kind of wrestling with that exactly and it was kind of like quite i was impressed by how empathetic it was towards ben you know so i think it could have been quite easy to just depict him as like oh he's a spoiled brat running off you know causing trouble for his uncle but it does kind of frame you know ben as having these like justified grievances you know and the fact that he's like still a padawan after so long <laughs> um and again like it's all played for like these clever little jokes but again I, there was something real there you know that it was appealing to and i really appreciated that yeah it just one of my favorite moments in the comic is when ben realizes wait you guys actually you kill people you're not just about hanging out and having fun and being rebels in that sense and it was very similar like that it was like wait what <laughs> such like a naive sheltered little boy <laughs> yeah and it also just kind of reminded me of han solo as well like just just kind of yeah naive and just like pretending to be part of something or feeling like he wanted to be but not really <laughs> getting it yeah 
that he's just trying to find his path and that's the thing with ben like you know he's like well would we'll, we'll this lead to a more fun fulfilling life for me like if i join this this group of people and so it's not as you said it's very generous in that it's not like just depicting him as like selfish and wanting to cause damage for the sake of it it's that he's frustrated with how things are going with luke and wants he's lonely you know yeah so. and like i know this is a big logic leap and of course i would make the leap because i'm me and i like what i like but just seeing this short it did reinforce for me that there's so much potential you know for that like young ben solo show that they could do you know because i do just think he's such a fundamentally sympathetic character and i know that obviously there's like elements of it that are pre-written you know because we know how certain things go and that obviously would like put it in a box so to speak you know and ultimately limit how consequential it could feel but i think as a concept for a show and as a concept for a main character like ben is just so good and i personally would like to watch it so he is good i yeah. find him more compelling as a character when he's with ray so sure. that they have that yep. contrast and i do feel kind of bad for ray in that she was the protagonist of the sequel trilogy and yet her early life there's not much grounds for adventure there because the whole point is that she's just having this day-to-day drudgery and trying to survive by yeah. herself. Exactly. You can't tell like a very exciting show about Ray as a teenager, unfortunately. Yeah, but I do wonder if you could do some stuff with the dyad as a concept because they did that a bit in the Rise of Kylo Ren, didn't they? Where she could sense when he'd fallen and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I would love to see that sort of thing injected into it. Like I'd leave, I'd really like it if that were acknowledged somehow in Shadow of the Sith, you know, just you know, like he's been seeing a girl or something. I don't know. Obviously, not in that sense, but like in visions and dreams. Who cares? Just acknowledge that the connection exists somehow. I would be happy with that sort of thing. But I'm jumping ahead to a book that won't be published for eight months, so I'm gonna shut up. I think the next nested story, um, which is called The Jewel in Monstrosities, and it's basically about spider legs small fighting General Grievous. <laughs> it, it was funny, but it didn't do much for me. It was like the least memorable, I think, of all the like little nested stories they told. I really enjoyed it and found myself laughing out loud a lot because it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> was and I, ju- I just think that both Maul and Grievous... Obviously, Maul definitely has like a tragic element to him too, especially like in the animated series. Um, but... I just yeah they just had so many funny like barbs and it's just funny that they were both like being pitted against each other by Palpatine but I don't know they had this dynamic to them and of yeah. course like Maul is the one who succeeds and yet as soon as he gets back to Palpatine that's just like erased which is yeah very fitting for Maul yeah no I, I think it was very funny and it was kind of funny they weren't like trying for like any pathos or emotion really in this one it's just like <laughs> stupid <laughs> um, yeah i respected that um and yeah then there was the wookie's paw um which yes yeah, like luke finds like a magical wookie's paw that grants him like any of his wishes and he becomes the tie fighter pilot um and i must say my first thought when i got to this short was i had recently watched wonder woman 1984 <laughs> and it's it's like the same thing you know like making wishes wishes coming true you know and i was like oh god not that horrendous movie because wonder woman 1984 was really bad but obviously this was very different so it was like sweet and charming and didn't take itself remotely seriously so. i just love that we get like another version of luke and vader's relationship <laughs> Yes. Where they're like, buddy, buddy on the dark side. <laughs> yes. And like, you, oh, that moment where they 
do the riff on Luke and Leia swinging across <laughs> to the kiss. other door and he kisses him. It was just perfect. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, I think this, um, sure, it wasn't my favourite because obviously that was the Ben Solo one, but I think it might have had some of the best gags of the whole yeah. thing. It, it was really, really funny. So, yeah, I appreciated that. Yeah, it's very sweet. I mean, the OT is ripe for gags, really, isn't it? Because some of those moments are just so, like, seared into your memories. and Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like even like the smallest background extra in the OT, people will recognize them. Yeah. So, yeah, there's like these, there's a huge supply of like cultural touchstones there that you can like riff off. And I've also just remembered that like Poe is perhaps like the main character in this special and we haven't mentioned him once. <laughs> well, he is and he isn't. Sure. You know, like obviously Vinay is the one driving the storytelling. But like, yeah, Poe is part of the framing device and obviously he crash lands there is like, hey, what's going on here? And then he's given the tour of the castle. But is there too much to say about Poe? Like, <laughs> I don't think there ever is, to be honest, in any context. <laughs> the story is that Vane like wants to use him to like become the next... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he like creates himself this little monster, like what would you call that? Like a kind of Pacific Rim suit yeah, that oh he God, needs. Yes. Like <laughs> <laughs> I've no idea what it's called, but Pacific Rim suit sounds good. Yeah, like <laughs> climbs into it and is able to run around as like this super droid. <laughs> but like he he thinks that Poe is going to be like the guy who can help him, but it turns out to be um, what's his name, Dean. Yeah, just some random kid. Yeah, but he he was great. You know, the the voice actors did great jobs. Yes. Um, and I, I did love Poe and Dean's kind of dynamic. It's just it does take a backseat in the way that they emphasize things with the actual stories as opposed to what's really happening. Yes. Um, yeah. How, how did the um, Halloween special stack up to last year's Christmas special for you, Kirsty? Um, I think I enjoyed this one more. Okay, wow, nice. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the Christmas special since it came out, to be honest. Yeah, same. I think I was just still so sad for Ray that it was just, like, kind of depressing. Oh, yeah, no. Are you talking about the whole bed? Yeah, <laughs> and I, yeah. don't get me wrong, I appreciated having that nod. Sure. But if that's all you get, it's just kind of like... It's, I just feel sad for Ray as future Ray. I know we're yeah. supposed to feel happy and excited about her future adventures, but I'm like, she just lost her soulmate. But yeah, I, I definitely enjoy both of them. No, like I definitely enjoy both. I think I would give the edge to the Christmas special. I can't really remember what happens in it beyond what's the story. Um, that's a good question, and it speaks to my bias, you know, because the thing that really sticks in my mind is that stuff with like Ray and Ben, and it's tiny moments. It is obviously not the purpose of that special. I do remember some stuff with like Ben and Palpatine, and obviously the framing devices that like Rose. And Finn and Poe and everyone are behind, like, trying to get everything ready for... Yeah, they're trying to hold a great life day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there's lots of, like, time travel hijinks, basically, with the world between worlds. I guess it's that Rey is, like, training Finn to be a Jedi, but then doesn't feel up to it. So she goes off searching for something herself. Yeah. And she kind of, like, teams up with young Luke, I think. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big part of it. Um, (laughs) But yeah. He's just, like, a fool. (laughs) Yeah, which I appreciated. I like it when people make fun of Luke. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a yeah, I, I enjoy the the Lego specials every time. So I, you know, I I hope that they continue to do these. Yeah, and I also like that they're one of those rare places where we do see like the sequel trilogy characters featured prominently and with affection. 
um yeah that yeah, will always appeal to me to go there with those dynamics and have fun with them whereas it does seem like in general there's some tiptoeing going on exactly it's like i promise lots of people do love these characters guys <laughs> like that's what i want to communicate to lucasfilm there's a mm. lot of love for the sequel trilogy characters and you should embrace it um okay cool but i think that finally brings us to our continuation of our series on star wars visions which I'm very excited to get to. Is these are some of the best episodes in the whole show. Um, like, and there's even more great ones to come because there's just lots of quality in this show. Yep, so first of all, let's talk about The Village Bride, um, which was produced by Kinema Citrus. Um, and yeah, could you like share your thoughts on that episode, Kirsty? What did you like? Anything you didn't like so much? How it stacked up compared to the rest? Just talk me through it. It's definitely one of my favourites. Yeah. One of the strongest in the anthology, I think. Just really gorgeous. Like, really beautiful to look at. Loved the music. Just, like, wonderful at creating this atmosphere and, like, this, this world, obviously this planet that we weren't familiar with. And just, like, depicting a civilization, a society that, like, has this connection to the Force but is completely you know it's nothing to do with jedi and sith so they use the force and that they're aware of it and they understand it and can feel it but it's not not anything like we've seen before um, yeah yeah it just yeah this really lovely emotional mix of like you know you've got the romance of the characters you've got this wider conflict going on and this tension within this family where you know haru and saku like there's this like we don't want you to make this sacrifice and it's so unfair and just this feeling of hopelessness and then of course f saves the day like it's just a it's a lovely story yeah exactly and i think I, this is such a rarity in Wars storytelling because you know Wars is like sci-fi there's lots of action and stuff so usually it's moving along at this super frantic pace and there's never time just to like pause and reflect on things and just take things in in like a slow contemplative fashion and I feel like the first half of this short was all that basically you know it was just our point of view characters watching this like local custom like the marriage ritual and you know there's not like much plot function that's served by seeing that there's some obviously because you see the villagers like connecting to the force and that becomes relevant but they didn't need to linger on that as long as they did but they still did that you know and that was such a critical aspect of giving the episode its identity you know in terms of just creating this really like soulful picture of like a point in time and the people who live there and what the culture's like and yeah, why this place is worth saving, you know, and why these people are worth protecting. And I really appreciated that. So it just felt so unique. And I think it just really demonstrated how much value there is to be gained in like bringing in these fresh creators. Because I am generalising, but I feel like most Western directors in particular wouldn't have thought to go anywhere near that sort of territory, you know, in terms of the story they were telling. But the people doing the village bride obviously saw that value in it and it does draw upon like some traditional japanese customs from certain areas um so yeah i just thought it was really magical mm -hmm. yeah I, I feel like i don't even have much to say because it's just stunning and kind of speaks for itself yeah <laughs> no no exactly um yeah, I'm trying to think about what there is to pull out from it. It's, like you say, it's just so self-contained and satisfying, isn't it? It's like, 
yeah, whilst you say it's really good. Yeah, so that's the thing. Some of, obviously, across the anthology, there's very different, like, tones and, and storytelling structures, but there's, I think, what makes The Village Bride and the next story as well, The Night Jedi, so satisfying is that they just do feel like mini-movies and that they just tell this story from start to finish and obviously you get this sense that the story could continue you you would be curious about where these characters would go and where they've been before but there is just just kind of like beginning middle and end that just feels it's, it's just a real joy to watch yeah exactly it's really expertly crafted um and i, I guess i found the um protagonists such as it is in this episode quite intriguing like that's f and like she doesn't get like a proper name but you know, she get the sense of like lots of mystery and potentially tragic, and, mm. and there's lots of mystery and potentially tragedy in her background. But again, none of it's made explicit. It's all very subtle, and that's not the point of this story in particular to go into that. But again, I really appreciated that because it shows that there's lots of depth and thought that's gone into these stories, because there's that suggestion of history and this life lived by this person even though none of that actually comes to the foreground or is even particularly relevant to what's going on in this story, you know, mm. and I just love the texture of that, you know, and the care that had gone into it because, yeah, it just really came across very strongly, even though it wasn't obvious or on the nose at all. I know it doesn't fit with the timeline because obviously there's this idea that the separatists have come in and stripped this planet of its resources, but F does kind of strike me as a potential contender for... Raylo Child. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I would like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would totally own Just that. Just certain vibes. Yeah. No, I could see that. Like, She's definitely got that melancholy about her, hasn't she? Yeah, no, that'd be really cool. And I'd also like her friend. Like, he's like some yeah. kind of explorer, I think. He's the one who's gu- basically guiding her around the planet. Um, like, although there was one line he said about how, like, I don't care about your Jedi vows or something. I wasn't sure what he was trying to get across with that. I didn't feel like he was coming on to her. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> no, I didn't get that impression either. <laughs> I think it was like saying, like, I know you've struggled with things in the past, but that's kind of... I don't know. that He didn't really judge her for anything or whatever had happened. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, exactly what Kirsty said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously it's vague and things are left unsaid. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and yeah, that was like a nice dynamics. Again, like in terms of that suggestion of history, you really know that these people go back a long way. You know, she's known this person for a long time. And again, I think it's this kind of thing where it's like invisible, you know, like it's not brought to the foreground. So you're not really conscious that they're doing it, but they are doing it and it's really important to the story that's being told so yeah it's just so clever so well done and it all looks beautiful as well it's so like well animated yeah um like i've said before i'm not an animation expert at all but this is the one that kind of felt most studio ghibli to me yes just in its, in its aesthetic yeah no i found that um I, I did also find a lot of ghibli in the ninth jedi that i'll yeah. bring up when we talk about that but yeah, this was like super Ghibli, which I really appreciated. I think the only part where I could see like a budget thing going on was at the very end when it's still frames rather than like motion graphics. Mm. Um, I, that kind of struck me as like, a, oh dear, we run out of money <laughs> <thing>. oh. <laughs> rather than 
we've made a stylistic choice to just use free frames, freeze frames right. at this point. Um, that might be uncharitable of me, though. So <laughs> who knows? I'd have to sit down with the director. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, great episode. And also, if you watch this, please watch it in the Japanese dub. It's so much better than the English dub, especially for this episode. Oh, I enjoyed it both ways. But I guess I had a big gap between rewatching it. Sure. What's why? What, what's what's different? Is I, the translation not great? Like, it's unfortunately you. Can, I can't tell what the translation's like with this because there's only one set of English subtitles and they're for the dub, so there aren't subtitles for the Japanese soundtrack specifically. Unfortunately, which is one of my criticisms of visions. It's annoying. Um, but yeah, the main thing that bothered me in the English dub was I really did not like the voice actor for Haru. Um, oh, okay. I yeah, it just rubbed me the wrong way for some reason. I thought she sounded too old for the part. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm being a bit mean now, and I, I don't want to dwell on that because it's kind of personal to the actress. I can't remember who it was who was cast in that. Yeah, some I don't of know the who names it was. have stuck out for me, and I've remembered them, but not everyone. Yeah, no, so they got some quite famous people, didn't they? For some of the characters, but yeah, I don't know if it was anyone famous, but it just didn't work for me particularly well. Okay. Um. Okay. Cool. So let's move on. The ninth Jedi. Yep. Give us your ninth Jedi Force, Kirsty, and I'm sure you have a lot of them because there's so much that goes on in this short. It's amazing. It's. I think this is my favorite. Nice. Um, but it's it's a toss up between a few, <laughs> including the Village Bride. But it just this story just feels like it's connected to what we've seen before. So, but you could watch it by itself. Like this could be your introduction to Star Wars. I think, and for that reason, I think this like could have been the sequel trilogy you know it really pushes things further into the future but it's referencing the past and and how the jedi and sif have both become kind of obsolete but there's still this potential um and then that conflict like comes right to the center that it becomes the the story and kind of changes the lives of these characters Kara and her father and the margrave um yeah i i mean I'm essentially thinking of this as the sequel to the sequels and the director and writer has said like I have more of this story you know like this doesn't have to be the end for these characters if people are invested and want more so I just loved it yeah no it's really brilliant like I can't 100% say it's my favorite because there's so there's several episodes that I think are really outstanding in visions um but it's like right up there it's like right on the top tier of visions for me um it's really really well done um and yeah I guess what I love the most about it is how it felt like a complete movie distilled into like 20 minutes you know so it's yeah. one of the longer shorts um and it did that without feeling like it was like outrageously rushed or anything obviously it does move really quickly because yeah 20 minutes but it packs so much into that runtime but it still finds time for like little character moments and to like flesh out the relationships between the characters so you understand how they relate to each other and yeah I just thought it was all so textured and well done it did like similar things to the village bride in that regard you know so there's obviously lots of backstory and lots of history to what's going on in this short that can't be made explicit but again it's all there just like in, in inferences and in throwaway lines and yeah yeah it's so so well done i really appreciate it that's the thing these stories are really well told because it's not like they dump a ton of exposition on you it doesn't feel boring or heavy it's that as you say you can make these inferences based on little little ways that they frame things little ways the characters relate to each other and what they refer to um 
and and that you do manage to get these quiet moments emotional kind of goodbyes between Kara and her father um loved seeing a father and daughter dynamic again in star wars because obviously we do get that in rogue one but when they part Jin is so young yeah um yeah i just i want to see more of Kara's story now and and you know what happens with ethan and how they rescue her father or if they manage to do that and and how they're gonna find these jedi that are out there yeah exactly and like Kara, like obviously i was predisposed to like her because she reminded me so much of ray yeah so many ways like she's got like the iconic like obviously not the free buns but she has her own iconic hairstyle that makes her stand out instantly and she has her own little speeder that i love so much the speeder was <laughs> awesome um and yeah she just had that like ray vibe but also not like a copy by any means you know still very no. much like her own character um which yeah was awesome um i really liked the like twist with the like jedi in air quotes going to the temple to collect their lightsabers and then obviously it turns out the majority of them are sith yeah and the way that's like explored as you know they set up the concept of the lightsabers like the, the colors change and the length of it changes depending on who's wielding it so that it, it encompasses like kara's self-doubt and lack of confidence at the beginning but then, yeah, allows you to then have that twist with the red for the Sif reveal. I thought that was all so well done. It just felt so natural and fluid and not forced at all. Yeah, it was really cool. And I think I especially loved that they designed those characters, the characters who end up being Sif, to look exactly as you'd imagine Jedi to look. You know, there's mm -hmm. like a guy who's a bit reminiscent of Yoda. There's like a very like noble looking blue-skinned lady there's like a really like dashing obi-wan style heroic looking jedi but yeah they're all actually like on the dark side and stuff and again it wasn't like they were straightforward evil because you saw that there was this like kinship between them as well and when they're fighting the heroes you can see them like trying to help each other out and stuff in a way that i really would not necessarily expect from sif characters you know she think of sif as being completely self-involved and only caring about their own safety um so yeah i really liked the fact that they subverted our expectations in that way um yeah it was quite clever mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah you get the sense that both sif and jedi have been out there kind of living these hidden lives and now because everything's kind of coming to a head so you're going to get all of these reveals and this conflict that's kind of been brewing in this like cold war mentality is just going to be out in the open now like this story is kicking things off that's why it's so tantalizing it's like no wait don't finish it there yeah <laughs> give us more <laughs> Exactly. It really does end on quite the cliffhanger, doesn't it? I also love that yeah. cute visual gag of the way they like tip the camera up at the end and it's like, oh, look, it's a big lightsaber floating in the sky. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cute. Um, but yeah, there was de a definite Ghibli influence in this one as well. Like, um, have you seen Castle in the Sky, Kirsty? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's a really, really good Ghibli film. I really recommend it. Um, and yeah, there's robots in that, which are like particularly iconic Studio Ghibli robots. And the design of the robot that turns out to be Juro in this episode is very similar to the robots from Castle in the Sky. So if you watched it, you would go like, oh yeah, I recognise that. Um, it's that similar. Um, 
and oh, and also the other little touch I really liked that whole sequence when Kara gets to the like airship that's going to take her up to the temple, and it's like the droids, and the droid is basically like drinking from like a mug and like does not want to deal with her right now. <laughs> it's not, like I'm on my break, leave me alone. <laughs> and again, it's just the fact that they found the time to have that sort of like little quirky eccentric touch in the story you know when there's already so much they have to pack in I thought that made it so special you know so it just adds this real like flavor and like character to it that it might not have otherwise and Mm -hmm. yeah just every beat is perfect it's really really wonderful yeah I think I said this last week but so many of these stories just managed to achieve this like feeling of the worlds and places just being lived in yeah like it just feels very real and authentic and layered i don't know i can't can't describe it it just really works yeah god i love visions like i love it the more <laughs> we talk about it it's awesome i know i've been so impressed yeah like yeah that's really it, good please. and it gives me such hope for star storytelling which is what i want because stars should be built on hope it's very important <laughs> um, okay um and then just to close off this time we're just going to talk about one more episode which is tob1 or toby spoilers <laughs> Um, and this episode was produced by Science Saru Um, and yeah this is basically about a little droid that's built by a a former Jedi and the droid dreams of becoming a Jedi Knight one day and it's Pinocchio yes Pinocchio (laughs) but with Star Wars things Um, and yeah what did you think about this episode Kirsty? I thought it was really cute I feel like it is more geared towards younger audiences, so I don't have as much to say about it, you know, being an old person. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) very endearing, very sweet characters. Um, And there there were some, like, interesting things going on, like, with, you know, the notion of a droid dreaming of being a Jedi. Like, that's very interesting. Um just yeah this sense of like trying to revive a dead planet like i feel like that has some interesting potential for because we've got hints of that previously with you know the the history of jakku as a planet for example um yeah i thought they were doing some intriguing things of it but it's just like Oh, I don't know. I'm struggling to. No, no, no. I, I, I know what you mean. I, I feel like this one is one of the harder ones to talk about. Um, because yeah, it's a very, very simple story. I, I do have logic questions about some of the things that happen, but again, I try not to think too hard about that. So that's not the point. You know, it's about this little droid becoming a real boy, and basically becoming a Jedi by the end of it. Well, yeah, because you wonder if he has that dream because of what the reveal is, right? That sure. like Mataka designed him to be that way, and I guess it raises interesting questions for for the droids and like whether they are capable of having their own thoughts or if it's all programmed and they're leading to a specific destination. Yeah, so like, was a hot minute with the Star books where they were really leaning into that whole question of like the droids and how much like autonomy they have. You um, mean like around Solo? Yeah, you like the droid Gotra and stuff, you know. Like, I almost um, feel like that's played for laughs, movement. though. Yeah. Like it's a laugh at, at L3 as being like social justice warrior droid. Don't you get that sense sometimes? I think in the film it's framed that way, but I think in some of the books it's given it a bit more weight. I can't remember specifically which books feature it now. I know Afra 
um like goes a bit more into like the whole droid liberation movement i guess um, last shot elfrey basically saves the galaxy and no one even knows about it yes I, I think that's probably what i've got in my mind actually in terms of where a lot of that stuff comes from um because yeah like it's something that star wars is kind of like sporadically interested in um and yeah it was interesting to see a short that touched upon those kinds of ideas because mm. yeah they're, they're very rarely given actual way beyond the level of ah look it's funny it's a droid that thinks it's a human you know so it's nice to see it treated with some sincerity i guess in this I think it's similar to how they typically approach the stormtroopers and how you'll obviously have them flirting with the idea of them as, you know, being individual people like Finn, but then ultimately backing away from it. And because if you go there, then you can't really come back. Yeah. Um, Gotta have cannon fodder. Right. <laughs> I wish sometimes that they'd approach that with a bit more. Yeah. Like thinking it through before they then butcher a character's arc for it. Yeah, <laughs> you'd like to. But I think that here it works because it's you know it's this one droid who's been designed by his mentor father figure for a specific reason, and his dream aligns with with all that. I think it's very heartwarming. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very wholesome. Um, like I will make a confession at this point though, and say that because they use the name Mitaka for Professor Mitaka, for the whole episode, my na- my mind was just whirling, trying to figure out connections with Dopheld Mataka, <laughs> who I'm sure everyone knows because it's such an iconic character name. Everyone knows Dopheld. But yeah, I, I believe this short in particular takes place in that like downtime between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. So like after the Jedi Purge, basically, and that's why Mataka's in hiding. So that would mean it's set a considerable time before The Force Awakens. So... I guess like Dofeld could be like a grandson or like a grand nephew maybe, um, <laughs> but I'm the only person wondering these things. Um, suffice to say, it was a cute and fun short. It wasn't like our top one of visions, but that's only because there's so many really really incredible ones. Yeah, I don't think there's a bad story in here. Exactly. So. Yeah. And that's what makes it such a pleasure to talk about because every time we get to the vision section we just brighten up and we're so like pumped and happy to talk about it and yeah, it's wonderful. It's what we need. It's a good palate cleanser after all that trust talk at the beginning. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us if you um, got through all the trust salt guys. Okay, so I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!